I haven't had ice cream yet. <laughs> the, the sound of I, uh, the trash cards in Taiwan sounds like ice cream trucks. Yeah, that was one of the favorite parts of round two. People love that. <laughs> Rick, Rick Puff flavored ice cream. <laughs> the neither perception nor non-perception flavor. <laughs> the flavor of dependent origination. <laughs> Do all those Dharma words are like great for like ice cream names or like sneaker names? Yes, that's good. We will There's leverage those. Infinite consciousness. Yeah. Air Jordan 4, the two Kananas. <laughs> uh, Let's get to the questions. Boom. Frank and I were crowdsourcing. Epic questions from you guys for our first Infinite Bra AMA. And let's jump right in to the questions, which we have ranked approximately 20 of them based on what we felt were not only of high interest for answers for you guys overall to hear, but also ones that we felt like we could actually engage with. So we'll have Frank start us off. Our first question is, in your journey, did you at some point have to let go of the attachment to your meat suit or did it fall off on itself? Um, never. I've never had to consciously detach myself from doing anything on the spiritual path. Um, the only thing that I did throughout this whole path was meditate and do self-inquiry two to three hours every day. Aside from that, I just did whatever the fuck I wanted to do. And I think that could be a, a plus in the sense that in a way, trying to stop yourself from doing something is also ego, right? On the spiritual path, something you go like, hmm, should I stop working out because that's ego? Well, the desire to try to stop working out is also ego. And one of the best ways to dissolve the ego is to exhaust it, bro. Is to love yourself, accept your shadows, accept your desires so completely that you don't see them anymore. You penetrate through them by loving it, by loving every particle in your being, desire or no desire. So your entire character, the separate itself, can dissolve into love and die. And that's how you manifest all of reality, dying into the extraordinary. So I did not detach myself from working out. But I would say that it does drop out automatically. Like whatever isn't beneficial to your journey is going to uh, drop away on its own. So while I still work out and I've been working out through my whole entire journey, the attachment to the outcome 
of working out gets lessened and lessened and lessened. You're only enjoying the process at the end. In a sense, I like working out even more now because every rap is eternal. Every rap is timeless. I can feel the sensation, every micro sensation on every contraction and every expansion, and I don't have a goal. Before I was working out for that image of Arno Aziz or the future Frank Yang in the head, now I'm just working out for the pure sensations. No other reason than because I like it. It feels good. Now, funny thing is, I don't get tired anymore when I work out. I don't get out of breath. If I do the same amounts in a single gym session right now versus before, I can actually squeeze in more sets and more reps right now than before. Why? Because first of all, your whole body is now relaxed. Why is your whole body relaxed? after waking, because you're no longer inside the head and behind the eyes. We spend so much of our energy trying to maintain the illusion of the separate self, trying to imagine the separate self into existence. That takes a tremendous amount of brain power, bro. After you unhook awareness from inside the head to everywhere, nowhere, which has always been the case, if you do physical tasks like running, working out, your conditions, gets increased. When I say condition, I mean like your work capacity. You don't get tired. You don't get out of breath as easily. Yeah. Because when you lift, it's almost like you're lifting through the universal will. When you lift, it's just a universe lifting. When you eat, just the universe eating. And I don't have to think about what I have to do the next set. I don't have to think about what I eat. It's all on autopilot. And I have no attachment to my body right now. Like I could be a fat lord tomorrow, wake up in the morning and be a fat lord, I would not give a fuck. But while nothing matters anyway, would you rather be a spiritual shredded cunt or a spiritual fat cunt? Yeah, you don't really have to let go of anything because whatever is detrimental to your journey is always going to dissolve by itself if you do the practice, if you do the inquiries, because whatever is not necessary is going to automatically get sucked back into the void. You just have to make sure that you're aligned. Both. Do what feels authentic to you. It's all about authenticity. And both. Both of those. Both of those, yeah. Because, because after, a while, you, after a while, you kind of, you, you can sense the energy. Like my entire, um, my entire life before awakening, I had to think about whether I'm doing this for good or for bad. Like, is it good for my character? Or is it bad for my character? But after awakening, you don't think about that anymore. You just get a kind of like sense you don't think about it. You just kind of get a, like a sixth sense. There's nothing intellectual about it. You just kind of get a sense. Is this a line? Is this what I'm going to do align with the truth or not? And so far, lifting weights has absolutely no effect on my alignment with truth. In fact, when I'm working out, when I'm really like dying into every rep, I'm more aligned than, you know, not lifting maybe. I don't know, but I'm just saying that when I'm working out, I'm not I'm not less aligned with the truth than when I'm not working out. So 
I like the answer of both because the flower effortlessly blossoms towards the sun. So that's the falling off itself. But that happens simultaneously as the egoic grasping also dissolves. And right. so you detach yourself. And those happen simultaneously. Let's move to the second question. Can a bipolar person awaken slash how does bipolar play a part in awakening? I actually wrote an answer to that already. Somebody already asked me. So because I display a lot of bipolar tendencies pre-awakening. Um, so I wrote it down. I had some bipolar tendencies and I think I gave up. Wait a second. Hold on a second. Okay, sorry. I read it wrong. So I had some bipolar tendencies before awakening. And I think that gave me an edge to meditation. I can dissolve and sync up sensations much quicker and more efficiently with more power. Same with ADHD, which is all about contracting your attention to a single point over laser beam by excluding everything else and vice versa. The more you can contract, the more you can expand and relax. Now, all I have to do is totally let go and relax the mind. And the big mind, consciousness, is literally glued to the sky as the sky with no distance and separation. And the whole world is not just inside it, but made up of the same knowing. Same with my years of struggling with sex addiction pre-path. The energy used to pull girls is sucked back into the Kundalini to fuck the universe while the universe fucks me. And after the Big Bang, I haven't suffered the slightest bit. Same with many awakened individuals who took a quantum leap over the mind and reached Nibbana. Many had quote unquote mental illnesses. They're already tapping into or dancing at the edge of the mind. All you need to do is the right methods and techniques and a little push. But on this path, you transcend the mind. So insanity and sanity is no longer relevant. The duality between insanity and sanity is transcended. It seems to us empty and nonsensical, neither inside nor outside. I think this is why this path uh, makes certain artists and musicians and writers better. For certain writers and musicians found more success on the path. Because they're really the same thing. A lot of artists and uh, musicians are already at the edge of the minds. And they're looking for truth. They're trying to use the medium of writings and art and music to try to dissolve the separation. That's why you get a glimpse of the transcendence when you hear beautiful pieces of music and such. Yeah. But you know, spirituality is just a more direct way to embody that truth without the medium of the middleman of, say, uh, art or sex or music, things like that. But this isn't to glorify mental illness. If you're a naturally calm person, there's an advantage to that as well. The point is, if you're sincere and serious about the path and truth, there will be a divine gravitational pull towards universal totality. And whatever body my advantage or disadvantage that you have will be rewired and realigned to fit the path until perception re-entangle itself and stretches to infinity. 
Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> it's always nice when there's already been a well thought out, detailed reply on it that you can pull up to answer. That's great. So we'll also put all these questions below and then maybe later timestamp them to help you guys out so you guys can sift through the exact time that the questions were answered. Go ahead, Frank. The uh, the mystical highs uh, that you encountered in the pad is actually very um, close to a bipolar manic episode. I mean, if you don't look at, if you don't quantify things as being spiritual or this is a Kundalini awakening or this is uh, mental illness, like at the cellular level, maybe there's not that much different because what is schizophrenia? Schizophrenia is the process of the breaking down of the ego. <laughs> so during the process of awakening, a lot of people actually go through psychotic episodes that is very uh, closely aligned with the symptoms of uh, bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. Because you realize you're not the self, you're not the ego. What is that? That's schizophrenia. So you wake up from the ego, the process can feel extremely schizophrenic. But then after you return to the natural state, you realize that this is the first time I ever experienced sanity. Again, transcending the duality between insanity and sanity. So even saying that insanity is already making a distinction. So we talked about that in the first podcast where the natural state is the unaltered state of consciousness, where during the awakening process where you experience the dark night of the soul and the spiritual highs, the Kundalini awakenings where your consciousness explodes the universe, which is two sides of the same coin, all that is still altered state of consciousness. So when people ask me, man, I'm afraid I'm gonna go insane. Well, even before you got into spirituality and experienced all these mystical states, you were already quote unquote insane. So you don't need to ground yourself in quote unquote sanity during the spiritual path because you'll be insane all your life and during the process, <laughs> that's just more insanity until you disidentify from all the states and go to the natural state and realize that before awakening, it's all insanity. Yeah, I highly recommend tuning into the Absolute Normie episode we just did prior to this. And I would also highly recommend that given your exact blueprint to leverage all of its nuances as gifts on your path. So see bipolar or whatever it is that is the deep conditionings or traumas. Leverage those on your path as your gifts, as well as you can. Yes, yes, yes. And I would like to jump us into the next question and bring in the point that Frank mentioned in the answer to the last question to talk about this. How do antidepressants anti-anxiety medications, et cetera, affect awakening? Do these things prevent awakening? Frank went, took us through the process of when we undergo the contracted egoic separate self-identity dissolving, especially when we've turned inward and become more abidant in the formless consciousness or awareness that especially when we begin, in a sense, declining physicalism. It can very much trigger, especially when you start saying things like, I am God, 
where you have in the East, you will have the applause. Non-duality is being realized. Excellent. And in the West, it will be get this person to a medical institute as soon as possible. And so you have what I've seen across my own friends and others where the process that we've described can trigger family, friends, society to medicate the yes. one that is awakening and that we collectively will evolve and awaken ourselves over time to synthesize the East and West together better and to become more aware of what awakening truly is and not prescribe the medications um, at those times. Because if you look at awakening, it's you're waking up out of society and out of the norms, out of all the conditions within society. So in a sense, it's completely flying against the face of quote-unquote normality. Right? So a lot of uh, Western psychologists or psychiatrists they themselves don't have experiences that people are undergoing when they take on the spiritual path. And it's very tricky to navigate that. That's why people like Daniel Ingram says that we need more psychiatrists out there, therapists that knows about the maps of insight and about what people go through. If not directly experienced, maybe they can read about some research on why some people, when they undertake the spiritual path, go through those different modes of experiences that my mirror Psychotic, being psychotic. And I would just like to also add that in the future, especially as we get even better at neuropharmacology, we'll get to a point where we'll leverage the entheogenic capacities along with these neuropharmacologies in the West to merge with the Eastern non-dual spirituality and we'll be able to really sort of awaken ourselves faster and faster. So there is a positive side as well that we have yet to really unlock, but Frank's so on point that it would be excellent for the doctors training into the MCAT, for example, to have a portion of it be around the Eastern medicines and spiritualities, holistic practice. If you look at spirituality, the path of people, the, the stages that people go through, stages of insight, it, it's almost universal. It's almost like that is what the mind would go through when it's undergoing the process of disidentification or quote unquote upgrading your consciousness. Even soldiers, when you look at soldiers, there's a lot of soldiers experience uh, godlike states during uh, battles because they're extremely concentrated. When you're in an extremely concentrated state, when your life is at stake, you can access jhanas. You can access oneness. And what happens after the battle? PTSD, what is that? Dark now the soul. After the spiritual high, you go to the spiritual lows, unless you truly you know, have an have a insight and lock the spiritual highs and the spiritual lows. When you have a permanent perceptual shift with something like a fruition or whatever, you're going to cycle back and forth. So people don't understand the fact that this is what the mind goes through 
when it's put under those kind of situations, whether that's the spiritual path or going in battles, or even um, if you take a lot of psychedelics, you can go through the same stages. The process of disidentifying the solution of the condition of the separate self, or the process of getting into certain very highly concentrated states. The experiences of that, it doesn't matter what domain you're in, it's almost universal. And funny thing when you mention like Western uh, psychiatrists, because if you look at what uh, Ramana Mahashi says, if you just take the exact same word that Ramana says, if you let a Western psychiatrist who has no idea about Eastern spirituality read the wisdom of Ramana, the Western psychiatrist would think that he's fucking insane. <laughs> if you just take the words at the surface level, you'd be like, this is someone that needs to be taken into the mental hospital, right? Oh, it's very, very interesting. Whereas many people in the East would look over at the insanity of the West and say that they need to go to the spiritual monastery. <laughs> okay, cool. Next question is how to get past experiencing awareness as being everywhere. Okay, so... I think what he's asking is how to go beyond even the initial stages of non-duality. Um, in my videos, I often talk about, illustrate with uh, visual metaphors and images about how awareness actually it's unhooked from the head. Actually, awareness doesn't get unhooked from the head. It's already not in the head from the mental direct experience. Awareness is already everywhere. It's already panoramic at 360. Um, but, even before you completely dissolve the center point of the separate self, you can experience the 360 awareness while still being locked inside the head and behind the eyes. That's the same thing we talked about in the earlier podcast where you're a separate entity experiencing divine versus the complete dropping away of the center or the self where it's just divinity recognizing itself. There's only awareness being aware of itself without the center point, the perceiver, the hearer, the thinker, so to get past that, all you have to do is continue the dissolution. Now you got to the stage from dissolving most of your egos, and now your identity is in awareness. So you abide in awareness to continue the process of dissolution. And if you're still in the center and you still perceive in awareness as being this field of panoramic uh, consciousness, while still feel like you're in the head perceiving that, all you have to do is just pay attention to dissolving the aggregates. You dissolve the seer, dissolve the hearer, dissolve the feeler, the doer, the thinker. And you realize all those different aggregates are just more solidified sensations cluster around your body or in the head that's trying to take credit, trying to hijack other sensations as being self. Another way to do this, that's a bit more of a Vipassana kind of path, where you kind of dissolve conditions by uh, penetrating through sensations. But you could also do self-inquiry. If you can be aware of awareness, then you can still objectify it. So you're in here in the center perceiving awareness. Do you see awareness? Are you conscious of this infinite consciousness? If yes, then that could still be disidentified from. First you say, I'm not the ego, then you say, I'm not awareness and I'm not consciousness. And eventually you're gonna run into a wall where the observer is observing the observed 
where you're observing the observer, there's like a screen here, and then you, the screen is looking at itself. And then the next step is to surrender and disappear into the what is. <laughs> Perfect. Next question. Excellent. <laughs> we touched a little bit on this a little bit ago. What is an ego death? Is it possible that the ego has many lives? Um, yes. So first of all, on the ultimate picture, there is no such thing as the ego because we talked about how the ego is just contracted sensation, contracted energy, where God consciousness is just more expensive energy, but it's the same clinical particle of subjective experience, which can be broken down to sensations. So there really is no ego except for contracted sensations. So the ego was never alive, quote unquote, alive. So there is no such thing as ego death. You so know, it would be fair to say that ego equals contracted sensations. Yes. Or identify sensations. Contracted identified sensations. Yes. Mm -hmm. So the ego was never alive because what is the ego? The ego is just a thought. It's just a thought. Fundamentally, no different from any other thoughts that's arising and passing out of nowhere in your direct experience. This, the thought of the self is no different from the thought of a bird or sky or tree, right? But then due to conditioning, we tend to contract the energy around this thought of the ego, right? So if the thought of the ego is just more sensations, and if sensations in them themselves are not aware, the ego, it was never alive. What is aware? Awareness is aware. Awareness is aware of the ego. Awareness is aware of the sound of birds. Awareness is aware of a body. But in and of themselves, body, ego, birds, in your field of experience, is not in aware. Is not aware. Do you see the point there? Sensations in and of themselves are like objects. It's awareness that's aware of itself, right? This is really hard to explain. But look at You're the doing ego. a good job. Look at the ego like a, like a cup. When I perceive my ego, it's the same thing as perceiving a cup. Right? We're mistaken the ego to be something that's alive, that's doing the perceiving. But there was never such an entity. Saying that the ego is alive is like saying the cup is alive. Well, you could say that, yeah, everything is alive because everything is God. You could say that too. But if you want to do this kind of self-finger practice, um, it's efficient to remind yourself that the ego was never alive because sensations are not alive and conscious. Only consciousness is conscious. So the only way to transcend the ego is not to kill the ego because you can't kill something that's not alive. You try to come up with something else, that killer of the ego is just more ego. It's just more contractions. This is more identities. The only thing you can do is abide in awareness, abide in this new identity, this new ground, and then continue to dissolve solidities of sensations. And let go of the whole idea of the ego. That's the first thing. Just let go of the idea that there isn't an ego in the first place. Ego is not an entity. Something you made up. If you can, if you make something up, you can stop making it up right now. <laughs> You're imagining the ego into existence moment to moment. In general, the seeking impulse arises in the contracted, conditioned, separate self. 
and the turn is after exhausting everything outward for peace and happiness, the turn is inward. And then the process as Frank described in the last episode, Absolute Normie is step-by-step step, rather than creating these names of ego dissolution and step, it's just overall more and more relaxation into the dissolving of all of those conditions separate self. Yes. And then that's the, what can be said as these potential possible ego many lives, because I described in the last episode as well, at every single one of these points, there has been this cheeky cunty reemergence, mm -hmm. latching on spiritual cunt identity now. This guy knows he must post and share with other people. <laughs> Yeah, so the only thing you can do is just just express, just express, just express the ego to its fullest extent until it exhausts itself. That's why spirituality is always quote unquote at the end of people's journey after they've exhausted all the other ego tendencies. So the only thing you can do to dissolve the ego is witness it, accept it, and love it. Love the ego to death. Love the ego to death. When you love the ego to death, it dissolves into love with a capital L. And yes, the ego can have many lives, just like what we talked about in the absolute normal video. Transcendence of the self. You can have a temporary transcendence of the ego, an experience, but the ego always comes back because it's an experience, not a full-blown permanent realization. So let's go through the three stages again. First, you have an intellectual understanding with the mind. Second, you have an experience of that understanding, a temporary glimpse into truth. An experience, but ego always comes back because experiences are not permanent. They come and go. Third, you lock that experience into a realization, a permanent perceptual shift to what is. You realize that, whoa, there was never a self to begin with. And this is true for everyone. There was never an ego to begin with. The ego was never alive. You see through the true nature of what makes up an ego. You can never believe it again. Yet it's our greatest tool, the contracted separate self with all of its conditionings and attachments and cravings and aversions is the greatest tool to spirituality. To spirituality. It's the big sledgehammer of suffering. Yeah, it's, it's like this, bro. Um, well, the ego has to be so big and you suffer so much, there's no way out. That's why a lot, so many seekers, <laughs> they start seeking because they're suffering so much or they have huge egos. A lot of like celebrities and uh, whatever, they go through this entire life just being the ego and they just be, the ego just started to exhaust itself. Like, okay, now Mike Tyson, now I'm gonna smoke some 5 ml DMT, right? Um, and it's funny because it's the, the, the seeker has to exhaust itself. So before the seeker is completely exhausted, the seeker, the, the egoic state of the seeker, it's okay to be super strong. It's okay to be like, I'm gonna gain light. I'm gonna get spiritual, spiritually awakened. I'm gonna be a spiritual cunt. Sure, why not just accept that? Just accept it. Cunt dissolves. Yeah, true. Yep. And then you realize at the end of the path, there is no such thing as the ego. Self, no self are just different contraction, expansion of sensations. That's it. And the whole path becomes void. And you know what somebody uh, said to me today, Frank, isn't it just a trap that you think you're done? Well, let me tell you, there's two biggest traps in spirituality. First, thinking that you're not done. 
second thinking you're done. <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> because you're telling you non-duality, everything that non-duality teachers say is true. There's nothing to do. You're full in line right now. Yeah. But you might not recognize this, but it, you, you might not fully recognize this truth right away. But it's just as much of a trap as thinking that there's more to go. There's always more to go. There's always more outer state of consciousness. Sure, there is. Sure, there is. You can continue to explore outer state of consciousness even after you realize emptiness and close the circuit of infinity. You can continue to be a more compassionate person or make better ice creams. But the thing I always emphasize is that at least the inside axis, the wisdom axis, realizing what has always been the case has an endpoint. When infinity closes in on itself, where can it go except for looping back in itself infinitely? Cannot go anywhere else, right here, right now. You cannot get any more infinite than infinite. You can't get any more empty than empty. But how you fill this emptiness with form, how you express this emptiness through a podcast or through making ice creams, making art, through teaching maybe, or through being a prostitute, that's infinitely full and complex. You can always read more comic books and be a better boyfriend. And don't make a stain on your toilet, bro. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> Literally pure potential. Yes, pure potential. It's like the state is almost like the, the before there was a form, the, the, the potentiality before there was manifestation. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And even now, the pure potential now also. Yes, yes also. It's, all, it's, it's both the manifested and the unmanifested. Infinite possibilities, baby. Pure potential. Pure potential. How do you keep going if it gets scary? Well, um, there was this quote that I heard from a Zen master. He said, what is a Zen master? He's nothing but a tour guide to take you from heaven to hell simultaneously and very quickly. <laughs> ah. You think you can go to heaven without going to hell? Think again, bro. The two sides of the same coin. So I'll say spiritual awakening is about transcending the duality between heaven and hell. But the only way to transcend this duality to get into that space that gives rise and is outside of the yin yang circle of both heaven and hell is to go through them all, cycle back and forth between heaven and hell, heaven and hell continuously until you abide in that source that gives rise to both. So how do you keep going if it gets crazy? The one thing that I like to remind people when they're going through like, you know, really rough times on the path is your consciousness is getting upgraded. You cannot experience upgrade without some intentions, without resistance. Think of fitness. You think your muscles can grow if you don't experience some sort of pain intention while lifting? No. Every growth happens because of stress and tension but if it gets too crazy maybe you should see a psychiatrist i don't know there's a fine line here like i, I don't want to just tell people that man some people really have a tough time with it some people go through like true mental breakdowns that they can't even function and for that kind of people uh, it's not the wisest to advise them to me hey man this is all part of the spiritual journey keep meditating that might not be good advice so uh one of the one of the cores for what you just were sharing is that upon this turning inward 
and deepening of spiritual awakening and dissolving of the conditioned separate self that it's actually really important to take this piece of wisdom, which is if you can, because you might not be able to hear it right now, but do not take the minor awakenings that you're having and go and begin zealously sharing them with your family and friends and community and society because you don't know who is going to slap the gold right out of your hands. And it's better for you to specifically identify people that would be good for this exact topic. For example, all of the people that reach out to Frank right now and the people that are reaching out to me are people that have had parts of this spiritual awakening. And now what is happening is leveraging somebody else that has been there, done that, and also that understands and can be a valuable resource and that is loving and compassionate and wise in their sharing. And like we mentioned on the Absolute Normie episode, the more emptied out, the more it enables one who is approaching to get their own chakras unblocked as well. So really keep vigilance with upon these awakenings to, okay, who is a truly trusted person to talk to about this? The amount of people that message me and say that you're the person that I know that I'm going to go to about spiritual awakening stuff because they know that it's somebody that they know that they can trust because if they turn to their family, the family will slap it out of their hands. And that can promulgate some of the scariness stuff is, oh my gosh, they're telling me they're going to take me to a hospital now. We touched on that a little bit earlier as well. So really find that satsang, that truth community. Really find that as along your path. Cool. All right. Please touch on the concept of going meta. Uh, going meta is basically just going to the next level and then observe the level you're in before from the more transcendental perspective. And I think the whole process of spirituality is about going meta. First, you're an ego, and then you witness the ego from awareness. And then you become aware of awareness. That's also going meta. Uh, that's why in a lot of my videos, I like to use like uh, visual metaphors of a screen, and then you have to zoom out from the screen. There's another screen, another screen, another screen. We've all seen that, right? Um, that's going meta. The infinite fractals, that's the ultimate meta fuck. <sighs> Because it's only from the higher perspective can you dissolve 
and let go of the previous one because the mind cannot understand itself. An ego can never kill itself. It's only by going meta can you absorb and disidentify from and comprehend the previous level. So whatever level that you're on right now, go meta. Keep going meta until the circle closes in on itself. When this meta-ness, the meta-ness that I'm experiencing right now is very different from before. Before I'll be like witness something from below, but now the meta-ness is it's almost like it, it's just that it's that it's that, that that's the ultimate meta. It's when the infinite loop closes on itself. That's the ultimate meta. The snake biting its own tail, universe fucking itself. That's the ultimate meta. When every moment is just that's the ultimate meta. But before you get to this point, you're gonna have to be meta from one perspective and then witness another perspective, and the two can be different. But ultimately, when you close the loop, it's just the same metaness. Just God fabbing to itself. Well, everything is already meta. So it's by natural that the spiritual path is about going meta. If you look at a lot of arts, a lot of like postmodern like, literature, it's all about going meta. Why are they going meta? They're like thinking about this thing. They're, they're thinking about this situation. They're trying to create something creative out of this current situation. And then boom, they go to another level. That's why a lot of like postmodern like literature and films, you see a lot of stuff that is going meta. Like being John Malkovich, even like Matrix is kind of like going meta. There's a lot of examples of things where you know you think this is the reality, then boom, like o OA. Have you seen OA? Where like you think this is reality, but boom, it's a movie set that's going meta. And then you're like, holy shit, that's a movie set. Then you're going meta from going meta. You're like, oh shit, I'm watching a movie set of a movie set of a movie set. That's going meta. So honestly, like, to learn anything, to understand anything, you have to go meta. It's the most important super weapon of the mind. The mind has the ability to disidentify from itself and witness itself from a higher perspective. The whole process of being a human is going meta. Yep. Yeah. Beautiful. Perfect. Would you recommend 5-MeO-DMT during or instead of meditation for someone who does not have significant chemical experience? Um, it all depends on the individual. Um, it all depends on the individual. Uh, I used to recommend 5-MeO-DMT uh, only to people that have meditated for like at least like 5,000 hours. But I don't know if, I mean, I can't say that because I have a biased tendency towards uh, just acquiring those states that I'm talking about naturally because even though I've done uh, stuff like 5-MeO-DMT, all my shifts, all my big bangs and you know, all my big crunches, all my awakenings were the result. Like true general awakenings, I had a permanent shift, perceptual shift. All my genuine awakenings were the result of applying the technique naturally. Self-inquiry, Vipassana, uh, Zochen, do nothing meditation, stuff like that. So I I don't know. I don't know. I think if you have a good base, I think if you have a good base of either one, you could, because like meditation could be just as quote-unquote dangerous. People can go to a Vipassana retreat and they could go crazy, just like people can take a, LSD trip for 12 hours and they can feel like they're going insane. So ultimately there really is no different, right? 
so but i would say the two feet on each other if you have a good base doing meditation then um dmt might be a little bit quote-unquote safer you might feel a little bit more grounded when doing dmt uh, or if you someone like uh like leo gura who's done like so much dmt and he's like super grounded in his like five-year-old trip if he goes to like a 30-day retreat maybe like it'd be easy for him because he's already kind of like wired his brain to experience all those different crazy outer states on five-minute dmt if we take what five amino dmt is we classify it as an entheogen, so unleashing God within. And we, we add that to the list of, like we were describing, the do-nothing meditation, vipassana, self-inquiry, etc. We want these two to complement each other. So just remember that entheogens are not necessarily a substitute, but they're a complement. Mm -hmm. So especially if you don't have significant entheogenic experience, I would highly recommend, especially 5-MeO-DMT <clears throat> is known specifically as this God molecule rocketing you into the nature and undergoing about a half dozen or so experiences with 5-amino DMT myself. I've done them specifically with people that are extremely well-trained and shamanic in the practice. And I would also recommend that as well. And at a much lower dose. So maybe a fourth or something of the recommended dose to start, especially without significant chemical experience, similar to when people inquire into my entheogenic experience with magic mushrooms. I will definitely, as Frank mentioned, individual personalize the recommendation. So typically starting off with something like a fourth of a gram can be a great little micro dosing experience for magic mushrooms. So now specifically during has been really interesting. I also underwent a process of intaking some LSD towards the end of my Vipassana meditation retreat. One of one of them, one of the later ones that I attended, and that was very interesting. I would I would definitely encourage playing with the self inquiry or meditation. practice simultaneously with entheogens. Actually, it's probably been the most profound thing that I could recommend is getting a really solid foundation in these stages that Frank and I unpacked in the Absolute Normie episode, and then to partake in using entheogens in larger doses once you have sort of built up your ability to handle that about twice a year. So about once every six months. And you'll experience typically a deepening and confirming of what you've been experiencing on the 
meditation yeah. side of things. Yeah. To me, uh, psychedelic trips are just they're, they're glimpses to what's possible in the natural in the uh, in the natural state. Sorry, not the natural state, but during the process, because natural state is beyond both psychedelics and meditation. It's funny because when you reach natural state, you realize the first thought I had uh, after my realization is like this thing has nothing to do with psychedelics. It has nothing to do with meditation, about spirituality. All traditions, all methods are void. They're just tools to ejaculate yourself out of the dreamscape. But once you're out, you realize that all those methods still belong to the dreamscape. So in that sense, both meditation and psychedelics are just tools. And it's not like one is better than the other. They're just tools for you to dissolve conditionings. And the effects of it, in some sense, is the byproduct of that dissolution. And in my own experience, whatever you can glimpse on psychedelics is a preview, a window into what you can experience naturally. And you prime yourself to access those states doing jhanas or smarties, things like that. But at the end, you could have no experience at all and still return to the natural state because some people barely had any experiences throughout the path. So I don't, because I talk about experience a lot because my own path is crazy experiences because I'm a crazy motherfucker. <laughs> this is my personality, right? I'm always very extreme. So my path is going to be extreme, but a lot of people, they try to master experiences onto mine, which I think is a mistake. Because some people barely had any experiences. Because again, realization is not an experience. You can have a lot of realizations. And if you're a character, your body mind is already pretty pure. And there's not a lot of conditions to dissolve. You might not feel a lot of crazy experiences. And that's probably good because then you have less things to let go of. I mean, experiences are beautiful, you know. I look back on the path, I'm like, holy shit, those experiences, man. Wow. Cosmic sex, blah, blah, blah. But at the end, you have to let go of each one of them. You have to let go of each one of your spiritualizations, each one of your spiritual experiences. You transcend them. They don't, they don't go away. You can still access them, but you transcend them. It's holding on to any particular state. They do clinging and suffering. What is the difference between cessation in meditation, stream entry, and going unconscious slash forgetting where your mind went? The difference is when you enter cessation through meditation, you're actually, you either go through all the jhanas, you go through all eight jhanas and you slip into cessation, which means that by this point, your mind's already being primed. You're training your mind through contemplative fitness to get into that state, which means that you're making changes to the neuroplasticity of your brain at the cellular level. Whereas falling asleep, you're just falling asleep, but the, the state itself, the dreamless state versus the death state of secession is the same. But the point of a secession is not the state, stateless state itself because non-existence is nothing to talk about, right? It's the, it's the insight, the interest into it and the returning from it that is the most important. So you can enter secession through a very high concentrated state. Um, and that trains your mind to operate at a different level. And when you see particle by particle, how each, your entire field of experience is constructed, is fabricated particle by particle. And you disappear into nothing, into death. And you, you come back and you see how your entire universe is then reconstructed again. You understand at the deep experiential level that, oh, it's all just a fabrication. But during sleep, you're not gonna get that. You're not gonna get that from just falling asleep. You're not gonna get the insight you need. 
How do you know when you've hit stream entry? Ah, uh, there we go. Man, I I gotta charge this. Oh, okay. Is it charging? Take your time. Really? You guys okay with this? We're empty full. He. <laughs> Dude, this, this, this podcast is so long. My, my camera, I can't take it. <laughs> yeah, the absolute normie episode was two whole hours. We've gotten through half of our questions, which is pretty good in about an hour. Yeah, you're not going to edit this, right? Because uh, what about the pauses and stuff? Yeah, we're streaming now, and we will... Keep the asset up. Yeah, we'll just keep the asset up and then. What we will do is we will timestamp the specific questions to help everyone out when they rewatch. Okay, it's charging now. Okay. But then the computer is at 7%. I think we should uh, try to hurry up. <laughs> Why don't you charge the computer instead and then we'll um don't worry about the GoPro for now. Okay. Or find or find a second charger. Oh, I have a second charger. There you go. That's an even better solution. Okay, so we got a second charger. Second charger. Boo, 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 boo. Wee. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Life talking to life. <laughs> One intelligence talking to itself. Do 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 ba 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 do bo 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 ba 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 bidi 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 bo 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 ba 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 de chupada
I got a So, how nice. is- do do you have your laptop connected to power? Yes. No, I don't. I gotta do that right now. Good. There we go. Okay. All Excellent. right. So, what, what's next? Um, stream entry. Okay. Um, the surest way that you know you hit stream entry is if you had a fruition or a succession. Which is what we talked about earlier. Um, see, when you reach a succession, it's most likely that you've run through all the jhanas. And each jhana is just a level identified, Le- a level of the mind that gets embedded. That's why we move from jhana to jhana to jhana, right? Um, so once you hit a succession, that means a good amount of your conditionings in your mind, so the dream state has been disidentified from. That's why uh, a succession is one of the key factors or indicators of stream entry. But um, not everybody um, reports stream entry. Sorry, not everybody reports successions. There are people who don't follow the Vipassana path have definitely hit stream entry just by seeing through the dissolution of the self. Uh, but don't, they don't report um, successions. And some teachers like Daniel Ingram think that you have to have a succession or there's no awakening. Other people don't. Other people are like, you know, you don't. Successions are not even interesting. And some other teachers think that you might have a succession, you just don't know because successions can sometimes be very quick. You just kind of blink out of existence and come back. So you might have a succession, you don't even know it. So, how do you know if history entry? Aside from a succession, is. After stream entry, at least from my personal experience, the first thing I notice from moment to moment experience is the perceptual shift where consciousness or awareness is not unhooked from the head. And there's this bubble of panoramic field that's surrounding the character. But after stream entry, this bubble is still very limited. It's very small. It's not like infinite. It's there, you can still sense the distortion in the field. There's still like a bubble. So I was walking around, I was like, like perceiving the world through this bubble. Right, and then as you go down to the path, the bubble gets bigger and bigger. Eventually, when the self completely dissolves, the bubble also pops. So another way to know that your history entry is that you feel like awareness is somehow unhooked 
from the head. That's why people ask me if I instrumentary. One of the first questions that I ask is, where is your awareness now uh, in relationship to the self? And if you can clearly see without a doubt that the ego of the self is constructed, that's a fabrication, that's imaginary, then there's a pretty good chance that you're instrumentary. Another one is reduction of suffering. Even after stream entry for me, it was like 1% of- Wow, that's a really profound one. So <clears throat> we could even potentially say that stream entry could be just realizing how much of a falsity mm -hmm. ego and separate self is. Mm -hmm. You could say that. So after stream entry, there's always going to be a reduction of suffering. That, re that reduction could be 5%. Mm, that's great yeah yeah because you, you have this uh, new space for the ego to operate in after stream entry there's still a self there's still separation there's still an ego but you have this much more spacious field to operate Ooh, and this relates to you go one level meta which mm -hmm. it, so almost like each level you go meta there's a decrease in suffering yeah there's a decrease in suffering because the the, the character gets smaller and smaller from inside the head to you know, then you witness the character from the awareness and then you dissolve even the witness and then now you're abiding in the Godhead. And the suffering gets reduced more and more and more as the character uh, gets smaller and smaller and smaller upon dissolution. Excellent. Okay, now let's do, please explain the three doors to cessation. The three doors to secession. Uh, the first door, the first door you have uh, the suffering door. The suffering door is when you peel away all your identifications, what and who you thought you were. And there's always gonna be suffering there. Because you, it's like skinning yourself alive until you hit a secession. But of course, once secession is not gonna, you're not gonna peel everything off. It's just one go, right? So you go through secessions uh, many, many times, and you could go through the suffering door many, many times, or you can go through the other two doors. Each one of those doors would uh, secession or fruition would occur. Uh, the second door, uh, it's not in order. It's just you know, I'm saying. The different doors. The second door is uh, the door of no self. The door of no self is when you start to witness the ego from the clinical screen of God. So before you were in the screen of the ego, and then you witness the screen of the ego from the screen of God. And then as they get closer and closer, boom, lights out. This is secession. The screen of God swallows the screen of the ego. That's going meta. That, that's the best uh, example of going meta. If you want to hit a secession, just keep going meta until, whew, yeah. And you realize they're actually the same thing. That the person looking out through the eyes behind the head is the same as the observer. It's the same as the Godhead. But then before you realize they're the same, before you completely dissolve the duality between the observer and the observed, do you think they're separate? So you create two screens on the screen of the Frank, the screen of God. And then boom, they merge as one. That's how you go through the, the secession door of no self. The third one is impermanence. That's when you start to dissolve uh, 
that's when you observe sensations at the microscopic level. You go, you know, really fast, really fast, really fast. And, and then once you get down to the bottom of everything, you realize that, hey, everything's just, you know, everything's actually uh, freeze frames. Because what is a movie made out of? A movie is made out of different frames, right? And that's what gives rise to impermanence. It's one frame after another frame after another frame after another frame. So when you go really deep into impermanence, you actually come to a standstill where nothing is rising, nothing is passing. So actually you go through a freeze frame and then boom, lights out. Because you sort of like, you enter in that space between two frames almost. So that's the impermanence though. When you observe impermanence as such a microscopic fine-grained detail that you come to the source of movement. That's the impermanence though. So to, to observe that, you just observe sensations arising and passing, right? And you go closer and closer to the source of it. See, Shi Jin Yang said a lot of people can observe sensation rising, but they can't observe sensations passing. You need to observe both. It's easier to observe a sensation, sight, thought, body sensations, emotions, uh, sound, whatever, that's popping out from nowhere. But then it's when you follow it, you follow it, you follow it, you follow it, and then it goes back to that nowhere. That's observing a very micro sensation through impermanence. And a succession happens through the door of impermanence when you're not just observing one sensation arising and vanishing. You're actually observing the entire field of your experience arising and vanishing. So your entire field of experience becomes this huge sensation. The whole universe becomes one single sensation that arise and pass. That's impermanence at the deepest level, and that will lead to a session where the entire universe vanishes and appears again. <laughs> Boom. How is cessation like shadow work on steroids? Um, see, in my own experience, cessation indicates uh, a completion of a cycle of insight. So you go through the whole cycle of insight and then you get a cessation. So what constitutes a cycle of insight? You have several different stages. I'm not going to mention them all, but the three most prominent stages are the rising and passing away, which is your spiritual highs, and the darkening of the soul, which is spiritual lows. Now, those are, again, just a byproduct of disidentifying from your mind. And then you have equanimity. After you realize that, wait a second, spiritual highs and spiritual lows are just two sides of the same coin, you go into a state of equanimity. You accept the situation. You just surrender. And then after you surrender, you disappear and die. That's completely impossible. So all your stuff come out. So you do shadow work. You're, you're observing what's going on. You're like letting all the all your shadows come out. And uh, again, shadow work. You know what is a shadow? But the other side of the extreme of you know the light and the bliss, right? So when a secession occurs, it's actually when you have all the stuff, all this condition, all separations masqueraded as either spiritual highs or spiritual low that just surface, 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 and then you experience both all the highs and the lows, and then you accept both as being the same, you go to a state of equilibrium, and then boom, when a succession happens, it's almost like, boom, you jump onto the next level, next dimension. You reset the brain, you reset your, uh, your reality until you, know, you go to the next stage and you do, go through the cycles again, 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 again. So a session, when a succession happens, it's almost like you went through a, a whole cycle of cleanup, and then you go to the next cycle, and then again and again. So each time a succession happens, uh, it's the end of a cycle of, the solution.
So it's almost like this black hole that just sucked all your conditionings out at once after you, you know, let them out. And then a succession, you sucked into the void, and then you come back alive, and then you go through it again. That's why every time after a succession, you feel like, you feel like you're relieved. It's almost like you took a huge nap. Why? Because you went through a cycle. You, you the, whatever shadows that you're working with, at that moment, was just left behind to the previous dimension. As emptiness dissipates the heart and mind into oneness, what does one extrapolate back into reality? Uh, everything. So I guess that is that that sort of that I'm not sure what the end that, that question really means. But I think what he's asking is um, after I, I guess what he's asking is after you realize emptiness, uh, what's next, I guess? Partly, but also I do feel like the question is asking about utility. Okay, what is the point of uh, being oneness after you realize emptiness or? As emptiness dissipates the heart and mind into oneness, what does one extrapolate back into reality? A state that is a state that is not conditioned by separate self. So a state that is perpetually spontaneously in rhythm with life itself. And any time that the it arises that there's something an untruth around conditioning, you're going to feel so much pain that you will correct it. I think so there's that. There's the utility of just being an incredible shepherd, steward of life. I think what he's asking is, what do you do after awakening? <laughs> what do you do after you're abiding uh, on the wild oneness? Uh, you just live life, bro. Enjoy life. Because after you realize emptiness, after you realize you're nothing, you become everything, and everything you do is awesome. Every moment is complete in itself. Everything, every moment is timeless, eternal. It just, it just, it's just, you just live life, bro. Uh, <laughs> you live life to the fullest. Because once you become empty, once you disappear into reality, every moment is manifested as the entire reality every single moment. What do you do then? You do eat ice creams or you fuck, you lift weights, you sit in silence, you do nothing. You as music. it is. Yeah. As it is. Yeah. Listen to music. You love, you you love, you want to love. You, you, yeah, and laugh, both. Love yeah. and laugh. Yeah, exactly. You want to fill that emptiness with the fullness of love. Like what uh, Nisagata said, after realizing the wisdom of nothing, the only thing left to do is fill it up with love. And life, which is the same thing. Beautiful. 
Okay, and this is a follow-up to that is how is art different after full awakening? And how do we cultivate ourselves to elevate art pre-awakening? Um, like we said earlier, a lot of artists create just so they can get into the transcendental state of oneness. That's why it's not just creativity. It's why we do drugs, it's why we have sex, fall in love, go to church, make money. It's all about just merging with the source, everything that we do. So art is no different. Art is just a, a little bit more direct than to say maybe making money. But from the ultimate perspective, they're the same. Because most of art comes from ego. Have you noticed that? From the perspective of the natty state, both art and making money are the exact same thing. People are like, oh my God, I don't want to, I don't want to make money. I hate businessmen. They're so shallow and superficial. I hate capitalism. I'm gonna be an artist. I'm gonna make really fine, beautiful looking art. But that's also a gratification of the ego. It's just that the, the effect of art could feel a little bit more transcendental, get you quote unquote closer to, um, I don't know, buying a car. Maybe you no, know, depends on who you are. Maybe some people when they sit in the Mercedes Benz, they go into God consciousness. Who knows, right? It's all arbitrary. But yeah, so you create, you cultivate yourselves to create art so you can get a gist of the taste of oneness. Now, after awakening. Um, at least for me personally, I stop. I don't have desire to create art anymore. I like I make, I make YouTube videos and I talk about this stuff because I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> I just do it. Let's do it. But if you look at my videos now versus before, before I was when I was identified as being an artist, my work uh, actually looks very different. Um, so after awakening, you make art not as ends but as means to an end, so you can communicate the state. At least for me, but I can't speak to other people. And you sort of you lost the interest to even be creative, because every single moment is creativity in my direct experience. Every single moment is the entire universe manifesting and creating itself. Because after you dissolve the center, what's left? The only thing that's left is the entire universe creating itself, moment to moment. And everything that you wanted out of art and creativity and music, it's right here, right now, every single moment. So you kind of lost that middle middleman. Before you use art as a middleman to get to the state, after you get to the state, kind of stop caring about playing the violin, making art and drawing, all that stuff. I just don't do that much anymore. Um, yeah. But then it's still getting manifested because my previous life was an artist. So this, this artistic program uh, is still somehow in the body. So I, I use art as a tool to communicate awakening because that's what my character did as a program previously, just like lifting. And I can continue to use that program without any attachment as means to an end, without attaching myself to the outcome or doing it out of that identification of being an artist. So in that sense, uh, you, the art you're gonna make after awakening if you were an artist before and you still decide to be an artist out of just the natural inclination of the universal world, the art is probably gonna look different, the content will be different, the way you create will be different. And you could just stop making art all altogether, but at that time you don't care anymore. A lot of people ask me this question, it's like, oh, I'm an artist, I'm a DJ, I'm afraid that after awakening, I might lose all creativity, I don't wanna create anymore, <laughs> maybe do, but you get something much better. By that time, you wouldn't care about losing creativity or not want to be a DJ anymore, you just wouldn't give a fuck at all. Yeah, seriously. If you do it, awesome. If you don't, you wouldn't care. Yeah, the second part of the question, how do we cultivate ourselves to elevate art pre-awakening? 
just ask the big question, which is, am I a separate self or am I part of the entire universe life? And what have I identified myself with? Am I identified with this conditioning or can I be identified as the entirety of life, the universe itself and infinite possibility being my true nature. And if you just do that process of inquiry, that itself will not only increase the awakening, but it'll increase the quality of your art to be more and more about elevating the planetary condition. And then it seems like a lot of what spontaneously arises after full awakening seems to be less of doing for the sake of achievement and more so a very non-attached, surrendered, unfolding to life itself being art. Yeah, that's why Vipassana is called art of living. <laughs> I, I will say that like all the techniques that I use uh, to wake up, like meditation, self-inquiry, it's going to carry over to uh, how you create art, I mean, create awakening. And also the creativity that you're engaging in playing the violin for me, for example, or drawing, painting, that's also going to carry over to your contemplative fitness practice. Because you're training your mind to think differently, to be creative, to get into certain states. Right? So practicing violin and meditation at the end is not that much different. You're applying concentration, you're applying emotions, you're um, training your brain, so to speak. Right. So any kind of arts and creativity stuff that you're doing, pre-awakening, it's going to help you with your um, practices and methods, for sure. All right. Could you have chosen whether to awaken or not? Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm not. Sh I'm not sure what this question is asking. Really. Um, is it quite? Isn't it quite straightforward? Could I have chosen? Like, like let's like let's say it's that, the same question as could I have chosen to be Frank Yang or could I have chosen to be born? Mm, mm, mm. Could I have chosen to be mm. here right now? Well, maybe also part of it has to do with the that infinite possibility, which mm -hmm. is really interesting because when you really tap into, like we were talking about in Absolute Norway, when you tap into infinity, you can see all of the little atlases. <laughs> and there's a lot of atlases that chased after Maya. <laughs> That's a very interesting point. Wait, hold on, let me get my... I like that one. That's a good visualization. Um, so it's almost like it's almost like there there's an Alice that's already at the end of the path, and there's like so many different uh, Alice, and then the one at the end is pulling all the different Alice to towards itself, you know. And then like, yeah. and then like, so they're waiting in line. One pulls the other, the other, the, the one in the front is pulling one in the back, and then the ultimate, the ultimate absolute absolute Alice is like just abiding the source as itself. And this is, this is this is and this is exactly what the law of one teaches 
as that six density higher self, which is this absolute atlas that we're talking about. The been there, done that, end of the path, acting as the mechanism that assists all of the other atlases in the infinite possibility with guidance. And then everyone you met in your path is doing that too. Yep. And this is life. Life is literally the optimal mechanism for awakening. So I think the, the, yeah. the, the, the trajectory of consciousness is to pull itself towards enlightenment. Yes, absolutely. What is it? Enlightenment is nothing more than you know reality being itself, right? So so consciousness has a natural trajectory to return to its most natural state because it's already in that state. Yeah, to dissolve all of the separate conditioning. Yeah. 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 That's the cosmological mechanism. That's what the painting is, is that. It's the the melting away of the illusory cage. And each of us has our own unique illusory cage. And then we each have a unique process of union, yoga, with the nature where we turn inward and we dissolve the separate self-conditioned cage. You could call it a cageless cage, like you can call it a veilless veil or a gateless gate. So definitely just play on the infinite possibility space and then pick what is in your highest excitement. What is in that North Star position? And if it is to truly go through this very destructive process of spiritual awakening, mm -hmm. <laughs> then do that. If it's to get a house and a wife and some kids, do that. Cool. All right. Do you think everyone should reach enlightenment within the span of their lifetime? Well, we kind of just talked about this a little bit as well, that this the whole cosmological mechanism is that itself. Yeah. yeah. But from so, perspective, I don't think you should you, you need to do anything. Whatever is put in that North Star position. So whether I mean, yeah. We're all gonna die anyway, right? So the death the death is nirvana. We're all reaching that we're all we all moving towards Nirvana regardless of what we do anyway. Some people just like to get there faster because they're uh, masochistic. <laughs> uh, some people have no choice. Um, but do I think anyone should do anything or everyone should do anything? No. No. Yeah. In terms of like an ordered civilizational doctrine no but in terms of a cosmological phenomena that's already unfolding yeah, yeah it's yeah. already happening yeah. all right let's do what are your thoughts on neo advaita teachings how do your positions differ from jim newman um it's really the same thing i guess it's all about the same thing um i think one is the timbin you 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 definitely unpack these stages more jim says no stages this is the yeah. absolute stop seeking. Well, he's, he's, he's going at it from the the, the fifth the natural state phase yes. uh, we, yes. we also talked about how there is no stages but you know some people like stages and maps a little bit more than others yes yes um but you realize yeah there are no maps or no stages uh the whole drama is empty but some people just like to 
teach from that position. It's a good yes. reminder. It's a it really is. good reminder. Yeah. But that if that's the only reminder you have, then you could run into trouble too, because any extremes that you encounter on the path could cause imbalance. Yes, yes. Just yeah. like when you tell everybody how you know, it's all a dream, everything is one. Of course it's true. You're the only one that exists. There's no self, there's no there's no others. That's one lens of perception. And like I was said in the earlier video, uh, true unity, true unity includes both oneness and separateness. So there's nobody here kind of teaching sort of exclude uh, the person, the individual. Like we say, you want to be everybody, nobody, and somebody. You want to be nowhere, everywhere, and somewhere. That's true unity. You want to, yeah. we sort of operate on three simultaneously. We operate simultaneously on three levels. In a sense, all the ultimate is just one level. Like I don't exist. I exist as Atlas and I exist as every possibility. Yeah. You exist as infinity. You exist yeah. as uh, nothingness and you exist as Atlas. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And, and another aspect to this that I find really important is that, Frank, would you say that the Neo-Advaita just going direct to this is the absolute, you're seeking home, which is already this, that type of thing. Would you say that that like sort of direct pointer to that fifth stage that we were listing in the Absolute Normie episode, would you say that at least to be so relentless with perpetually pointing there, at least makes it so that people can know like really quickly, at least like, okay, well, this is the end. Like this is the absolute, like I, like, and then it sort of makes it maybe a little bit more. Could it be swift to sort of get to that? Uh, I, I think so. Um, I think so too. I, I think it's both. You, you want to follow that path and simultaneously do the the passionate path. That for me is the most effective. And also, there's also different uh, different stages of non-duality. You could feel like very. You could feel very non-dual even when you still have a center. When the the subject and the object. If there's still a duality, it's not the fullest non-duality. But even if there's a still a separation there, you could experience infinite consciousness from the separated state and still feel very non-dual. But there's a very subtle sense of merging that's still happening. That's still not true, what I call unilocality. So my different stages of non-duality is, first, you have non-duality, oneness, awareness of awareness. Um, second, you have non-locality, which is emptiness. And third, you have unilocality. Now, they're all just different aspects of non-duality. The deep form of non-duality become unilocal. But if you only speak of non-duality without realizing that there are different levels of non-duality at the relative level, because it takes a while for you to dissolve. So some people who are still in the beginning stage of non-duality think that's it, but there's actually more dissolution. That's the difference between feeling oneness still from the center, from the separate state, after dissolving a lot of the ego conditions already versus completely dropping away of the center and become unilocal. Yeah. Cool. And then how important are retreats? P.S. I love you. I love that last part there. That's so cute. <laughs> I love you too. I love you, bro. I love you, bro. Um, yeah, so in my experience, 
retreats, one retreat, you make more gains in one retreat than you do sitting for an hour a day for the entire year. Because for some reason, retreat just gives you the extra boost because it, it takes a while for you to you know, go really deep into the mind. If you have a lot of stimulus in everyday life, you're not going to go deep. You know, you sit for an hour, you wake up from that, uh, from that meditation, from the meditation cushion, you get up and then conditioning are piling up already as long as you, as soon as you get up. So in a retreat, you have no room for the condition to re-arise because you're constantly in a state of silence. So that's why it's only on the like fifth, sixth day of the retreat that you really experience something profound because it takes that many days to get subtler and subtler levels of the mind until you peel away all the surface level stuff and you go deep within yourself. Like you just can't get that um, when you sit for an hour a day or half an hour a day. Yeah, and Frank specifically mentioning Vipassana, and I concur that the large part to why I am where I'm at right now in understanding all of the these nuances around spiritual awakening is because of Vipassana and Frank illustrated it perfectly, which is that you really do need the long period of sitting repeatedly to get to the roots, as was taught by Buddha in this lineage, of extinguishing the most deepest roots of the conditioning and the separate self and the cravings and the aversions and the attachments. And the noble silence that is taken and the fact that you have no technology that you can access, the fact that you don't look at anyone else in the eyes, all of those components further amplify it's it is like going super sane during that period of time and just don't necessarily get into and frank has sort of done this in his content he's talked about this process but he's sort of just perpetuating the cycle of going and sitting without also combining that with do nothing meditation and self-inquiry and entheogens and these other for example reading the end of your world or reading you know i am that like these are good books are also great from the greatest sages are great additions to sitting on retreats for the some people, so for some, I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but some people, they, they go to retreats and they go, you know, they, they, they're not very stabilized and they encounter some problems that if they just sit for an hour a day, that could be better for them. Or some people get into a lot of crazy mystical states during retreats, they can get attached to those states. That could also be a problem. There are some teachers that advise against long retreats for those reasons, but they're just, you know, advocating you just paying attention to the present moment right now while doing everyday tasks or just sit for half an hour here and there. So it all depends on the individual. All depends on the individual. 
I'll say like if you if you don't know what works for you, just try them both and see what happens. Yeah, and especially the try thing. Like try and see how it, it is for you. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thoughts on public intellectuals like Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris, etc., and why they often stay clear of metaphysical discussion despite their deep insights into the mind and human psychology. If you haven't yet listened to Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris in their discussions that they've had in Vancouver and in London and Dublin, I think, that they've had great discussions and Brett Weinstein and uh, Douglas Murray moderated them. And they basically do the synthesis of spirituality and science, or you could say um, they aim to find how to extract out the best from both and merge them together and then like get rid of the stuff that doesn't work basically. And so they already do a good job at this stuff, but they do it from a perspective of like, um, like, like they can't say something that will put their, uh, clout, or fame or status in jeopardy in a sense. Um, so they do it very carefully. They do it to avoid that. That's been like the number one thing that I've noticed is that like right now being 28, um, like when I was 27 and I didn't necessarily have much experience with what I'm, talking about now a spiritual awakening i wasn't doing i wasn't saying this i wasn't talking about this because i had no experience with it now i have experience with it so i talk about it a bit and i would say that maybe jordan sam and many of these other people that were in like the intellectual dark web may not necessarily have had abiding awakening experience and maybe they've had glimpses but that then makes it so that they don't have the direct experience and the realization to be able to speak from the place as well you said it perfectly i i i don't have to add anything I mean, I okay all right cool and that's what i would have said exactly what i've said yeah Beautiful. Yeah. Frank and I are vibing on deeper and deeper wavelengths with and synchronicities there. I love that. And just another thing is that I, I have messaged Eric Weinstein and Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson all within like the last couple of months, um, asking them to, for Jordan to come back on the show and for Eric and Sam to be featured on the show. And I have not heard back from them. And I've specifically asked them around these biggest metaphysical subjects. So it was not, hey, Jordan, could we promote your new book? It was, let's talk about what the nature of reality is. And um, that can also be a little bit, again, difficult for somebody that's 
you know, in yet at the same time, it could be great for society and great for civilization for one of them in this later state of their career to turn towards the conversations around the nature of reality rather than the and sam is very much doing this by the way on like the waking up podcast he just had jim newman on like a couple months ago and he's been having uh more and more some like Dzogchen masters this type of stuff on the on the program so it is great but at also at some point what about like not focusing on the political polarization and just sort of taking a firm stance in empty infinity what about taking a firm stance in that what about taking a stance of saying i'm not sam harris but I'm actually life itself. I'm nothing, everything, and Sam Harris. What about that stance? What about and sharing that with the world? So it's just, it, it could be a little bit more exciting for society and civilization to have some of these bigger figures sort of take a, a deeper step into those direct realizations that they've had. Cool. Okay. All right. And then let's have Frank do this one. Are babies and animals enlightened? <laughs> well, I mean, the natural state is kind of like you, you see no distinction between you and animals, you know, babies or anybody else. Um, I, I, I think in, I guess enlightenment is kind of like the, the combination of a, of a state of an animal or babies, yet on top of that, you have a combination of that. So now you have to distinguish between the post and transhuman fallacy. Ken Wilber talks about this. He says, are babies enlightened? He says, no, because they haven't grew an ego yet. You have to grow the ego and then disidentify from the ego. That's, the, that's why we go back to how the spiritual path is about being identified with certain states and then disidentifying from it. You have to access it before you can disappear into it, before you can collapse into it. Right. So I would say like um, enlightened state is kind of like uh, you have a brain of a baby, but also of an old person and a young person too, or animals and God and everything. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like having the, it's having the meta awareness of this natural state, because if you're only in the natural state and you don't have the meta cognition of it, then see, you have the ego state in this side and you have the, the baby state or the animal state in this side. They're almost like two opposite sides of the extreme, right? And I guess enlightenment is almost like the synthesis of them. The middle way of both the self, the ego, and the complete no self of uh, babies and animals. So the pre and transhuman fallacy is like, don't mistake in a child who can draw like Picasso to be Picasso. To be able to draw like Picasso, Picasso first has to learn how to draw like a classical painter. He has to paint like Raphael before he can abstract from the Raphael. 
So saying babies are lying is like saying elephants can paint like Raphael, oh sorry, uh, Picasso. Or saying babies, their finger paintings is like Picasso. That's the difference between pre and post knowledge. Even though on the surface, they might look the same, just like how, you know, people like wild, uh, our ancestors, the hunters and gatherers, are they in the natural state? Yes and no. They're in a pre-knowledge phase. It's going through civilization and then going back to the natural state. I merge the post and pre-knowledge. That's what I have to say about that. Cool. Yeah, and we talked about that a bit on the Absolute Normie episode as well, where the birthing, especially in indigeneity, of children without the egoic separate self conditioning forming is almost acting like a gateway into that natural state. And that is a main component of, as we talk about putting together these pedagogies for young kids, especially to undergo the process of recognizing their true nature from age five, 10, 15 is awesome. And then we could potentially see that type of uh, civilization a hundred years from now, where it is very simultaneously Star Trekian and also very monastery and also very ecologically harmonious and just abundant, prosperous everyone being actualized and realized. So exciting. Cool. Yeah, Frank and I are working on that. <laughs> this question has like a, a couple of different levels because like sometimes when you apply in that dark cloud, the absolute, there, there's not even a, a, a metacognition of like awakening or anything like that. Either, you know? So like that state, it's almost like just think of the state of the universe before there was any humans or before you were born, before the big bang, and after big crunch even, like just contemplate what that state is like. Yes. With no conceptual uh, projection of even spirituality itself, or what it's in like. Perfect, yeah. You know, is that the same state as the baby? Is that the same state as like deers, trees even, or bugs? Perfect. Yeah. Perfect, Frank, perfect. And the last question is, how does driving feel like in the natty state? Um, I think again, the best way to describe this is it's just the universe driving itself. When you walk, it's just you <laughs> walking. When you move your feet, it's the, the whole universe is driving the feet and vice versa. And eat is just the universe eating. Um, well, I mean, if you want to analyze it, it could feel like you're driving headless. It, it could feel like it could feel like you're not going anywhere because you know, infinity doesn't really go anywhere. You're like you're this huge field of awareness, and you're just driving within this this Dharma body. This is what I call the Dharma body. It's when you have no separation at all between you and the universe. The entire universe feels like your body and you're driving inside this body as this body. So you're not really going anywhere. But at the same time, everything's moving simultaneously at the speed of light through dependent originations. So you get two levels, the absolute goo of homogeneity and the relative goo of the links of dependent origination, of the heterogeneity happening simultaneously. I mean, it's trippy, man. I remember the, the the first time I went downstairs after the Big Bang, I was like, I couldn't even walk straight. I was like, this, this thing is fucking huge, man. Like, like, 
It's like I don't have a head or a body. It's like I don't have a mind or a body. It's just the world. It's just the world as itself doing its thing. So this question is funny because driving during that state is the same as walking or eating during that state. This is driving is a little bit more trippy because you're you're moving, you're moving in this. It's hard to explain. I think that's why people like to go on walks. Like a lot of Zen masters, they like to contemplate when they walk. If there's movement, um, in a sense, you can kind of observe and investigate. Um, the state you can pronounce the state even more fully sometimes when you're engaging in sort of this embodied task of washing the dishes and you know um, carrying the water and chopping wood right that's what i was trying to indicate to you in the absolute normie episode when i was saying oh, as you're walking to the fridge you take a stop yes yeah yeah type thing yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. And also when we were talking about the cleaning out the very dirty garbage can, having that same empty fullness as watching the hummingbirds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. So like driving is not different from any other state. At some point, everything you do just becomes one seamless whole. Like there's no difference between waking state, there's no difference between that and the sleeping state, dreamless sleep even, or the dream state. It's just one seamless whole because when you're constantly in like samadhi, it's going back and forth between those different relative dream levels. It's really just the same thing. Yeah. Okay, beautiful. Holy, beautiful first Q&A together. There were a lot of questions in the comments that I would love for everyone that wrote a question in the live chat. If you could post your question in the comments of this AMA, and what we'll do is we'll grab the questions from the comments of the AMA, and we'll put those into the next AMA document and rank order those and answer them on the next one. And we feel like you could potentially expect that maybe in like six or so weeks, like a month and a half or so. And... Thank you everyone for tuning in and Frank for being so just concise and on the dot. Thank you. Thank you, Atlas. Thank you yeah. for having me. Yeah, that was really fun. Super. Yeah. Every 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 episode with you, are we still live for Yeah. Yeah, every episode with you has been super fun. We we'll always cover deep, uh, deeper downs. Yeah, and it's definitely hugely a part of like Frank's continued exploration of spiritual awakening that has gotten me deepening the realizations on my end too. It's been super important and for so many others. And again, the links in the bio are to Frank's Instagram. He's got great content on there, especially on his stories. He unpacks the deepening of the realizations there. Go follow him and check those out. And also subscribe to his YouTube channel. He has great content that he's been posting there as well especially his last two videos, go and check that out. If this video AMA brought you value, give it a like, it helps the algorithm. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't yet and share the video with other people that you feel like this would profoundly influence. And that is all. Again, if you have questions that you would like to line up for the second AMA, do write them in the comments below and then we will grab them and put them into 
the next AMA pool. So infinite love. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Frank. All right, bye everyone.